Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I am your co-host, Brandon. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children. But neither are our D&D games. Boom, we're getting it. (laughs) That's for you, Molly. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. We want to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon donors. You guys make the show possible. You make it so that my wife isn't complaining that I'm spending a bunch of money on hosting fees and and equipment and stuff. So thank you guys so much, especially you, Joe, who's here with us. Wink. (laughs) All of our our patrons are very beloved, and you guys make a pleasure to do the show. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a website that allows content creators to create a page so that they can be supported by their listeners by trading rewards for different tiers. And some of those rewards include watching to our watching our show live and interacting with us, to even playing games with us, as well as some special stuff we got coming coming up as we get closer and closer to our goals. So yeah. I'm really excited for that. We're getting close to that first goal, so you better start making me sheets and sheets and sheets of uh, tokens. You better get on that. If you want to support us, head on over to patreon.com slash Academy, or you can find a link on our website. We want to thank you for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a knight without his squire. <laughs> we have a really awesome show for you today. For our Let's Talk About Blank segment, we have a question in regards to Minotaurs, which I think is interesting. I love Minotaurs. That's like a classic trope that you can't, you can never go wrong with. Our main topic, we have special guest, publisher BC Beats. He is known for publishing solo adventures. So we'll be talking solo adventures today. So for all of you DMs that never get to play, now you get to play with yourselves. <laughs> from a D&D standpoint. <laughs> and of course, we have our final Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment where we give you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Yeah, the real reason you listen to us. But before all that, we have In the Realm, where we talk a little bit about what's going on in our lives. Brandon, what's going on in your realm? I've been sick as a dog for the last week and a half. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's been horrible. But I'm feeling better, and I can't wait for Shudo next week. Yes. And for the guys that are watching, I, I brought my, D- my D20 that I made for... For the uh, panel? Yeah, we're going to let um, <laughs> some of the audience members roll D20s for us. So he's in the process of making a giant D20 for them to roll. <laughs> it's not quite beach ball size, so I'm glad. I was worried it was, he was going to make this big ginormous thing. Um, but it's still pretty big. It's got to be, what, 12-inch diameter. So Yeah, maybe a foot. <laughs> so that's very cool. You've been doing that for us. That's it for me. What's going on in your room? Uh, it's St. Patty's Day as of this recording. Oh, that's right. Which yeah. is super it's exciting. St. Patrick's Day. I'm wearing a kilt and I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, you look pretty baller with your... What kind of hat is that? That's really nice. It's a scally cap, and it's got my uh, your Navy? Fam- family crest on it. That's awesome. That Your family has a crest? Everyone's family has a family crest. I don't have a family crest. Yeah, you do. Where the hell do I find that? <laughs> Google. You can Google well, it. Just because you Google it, what's my family crest doesn't mean what shows no, up is your ex- family's crest. I've done extensive research on mine. This is my family crest. Well, you should take a picture of that and share it because I think that's really cool. Which awesome. is super coincidental because it's an anchor. Oh. It says anchor fast anchor on it. Well, see, that's what I, why I thought it was like for your Navy hit, Navy drive thing. No, the, the, the gray family from Scotland are a bunch of fishermen. <laughs> Oh, okay. Imagine that. Yeah, uh, so I'm excited. I just bought a a new car. I got a 2016 Terrain, and I love it. It is the smoothest ride I have ever owned, so I'm super stoked about that. And I bought a new phone. I got the Google Pixel 2 XL, and it's awesome. I went from a GS4 Galaxy. Just think about that. A Galaxy. Yes. I have an S6, and it's already dying. Yes. So for me, it was a huge, huge upgrade. So I'm super stoked. Kind of wanted to buy a new vehicle uh, after we paid off the house. So what? Let me see it. I want to see it. Don't you drop it. I don't got no case on it yet. Let me see this shit. (laughs) What the fuck is is this thing? 
It's a phone. This looks like the back. It's it, not the back. It's is, the front. Is that the back? So that'll do it for In the Realm. Brandon, if they would like to visit other realms, how can they do that? Audible. Audible's a great realm you can go and check out. And why is that? Because <laughs> you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash Crit Academy. Isn't that awesome? That is. You can also head on over to CritAcademy.com and click the link there as well. Our next segment, we have our Let's Talk About Blank segment. I actually don't know where this came from because somehow when I when I took it, I didn't actually get the person's name in my copy and pasting. So uh, I do apologize if you submitted this and I forgot who you were. Like, if that's the case, it's likely something I got off of, like, Facebook or something. But um, <laughs> uh, we'll call him Blank. So Blank asks... <laughs> I want to spice up a Minotaur encounter. I am basing it on an old story of the Minotaur in Crete, i.e. it's a fight against a Minotaur in a maze. Do you have any ideas for how to make a maze interesting, certain traps or designs, and ways to spice up the Minotaur to take advantage of the design? Now, we've actually talked a, a few times about uh, mazes and stuff. We have. I remember talking about stuff like uh, maze walls moving and shifting and yeah. changing and stuff like that. So we've kind of talked about this, and obviously I wouldn't have brought this up if I didn't have any other unique ideas. The reason I brought this one up specifically is because I thought about it in a little bit different way. You know, the traditional maze is... is the Minotaur is in the middle, or the Minotaur is roaming free, and you happen to run into him, right? That's that's kind of the thing, or he's hunting you down. Um, <laughs> like picking up Jake's in the dungeon. <laughs> that's an awesome anime. Yeah, it have is. you seen that? Uh, it's the first episode. That just hit. That, that just occurred to me. I have watched that anime, and it didn't occur to me that the, the Minotaur in the... first encounter yes, is a Minotaur. It didn't even, didn't even hit me, because at the <laughs> end, they talk about all the, all the gods. Wow, I'm a schmuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> We've talked about uh, on the show about shifting your your maze and making it change and stuff. Now, from like a, a, a tile standpoint, that's a little bit easier. We've talked about the shifting of the maze. That obviously makes a pretty big deal. But I don't think we've talked about changing the way the maze is together. Everyone assumes, you know, the Minotaur and the dungeon. What if the maze was slightly different? What if it was, you know, a giant hedge maze? And instead of the Minotaur having to like run through the whole thing, he just like runs through it and charges through it. And he's able to, he's so strong that he can just kind to barrel through this thing and take shortcuts and that can allow him to catch the players by surprise or kidnap somebody <laughs> can you imagine if you're just walking and then you know you've got this hedge maze and out of nowhere busting through like the damn kool-aid man comes a minotaur grabs somebody <laughs> oh, yeah. and then runs <laughs> through runs the next off. one and now he can use that sort of technique to kind of separate the group which is one of the big no-nos in D, right is don't yeah, don't split the separate. party but what if the encounter is based on doing that what if the Minotaur there is grabbing, you know, people and running off with them and they're forced to kind of fend off for themselves when he grabs them? And so they know they can't fight it on their own. They have to then search the maze and find their allies before they can do it instead of them already being together when they find it and then they gang up on them. This way, it's more of a chase scene, like something out of a horror flick. Yeah, but then you end up with that, that one smart-ass player. And you said, you said what, if the, what if the maze is made out of a hedge? And instantly, the first thing that popped in my head is the mage comes up to the entrance and says, lights it on fire, and just says, okay, let's wait. Okay, yeah, you know what? <laughs> and and that could be a case. But up. I would think that uh, as a DM, you would make it so that, okay, it's a magical thing, so it regenerates faster than it can burn down or something like that. That's not out of the realm of something you would do, I would think, as a DM. I would say, yeah, you light it on fire, a little section burns, and then it quickly grows back. You know, that would be, I think that would be pretty easy to conquer plus that's what would happen if the minotaur is plowing through the whole thing right so with this case now the end the players know that they can't take this thing on their own 
So if they're being chased, do you, from a tile standpoint, that I think from like a like a gridded standpoint, I think that would be hard to pull off. But I think this is one that definitely could run off uh, super easy as like a theater of the mind type game. Because you can easily separate the players as far as you want, which I think Ian did mm-hmm. in our level 20 game. Yeah. He had us go in and we were all separated across this map that couldn't, he was trying to capture it on a grid, but he couldn't. Because everything looked like it was close together. He's like, yeah, this is all like separate. But I definitely think that would be pretty interesting. The other thing I think is interesting in the Percy Jackson novels, something that comes into play often is people mapping the dungeons, right? We talked about the shifting and stuff. By making it a shift and stuff, it makes it super difficult to map. So you can't really have somebody trying to map out this dungeon. What's interesting is we always end up in the same two-dimensional thought when we build a maze, right? You walk down the hall, you turn left, you turn right. But what if you take advantage of the three dimensions where now you've got stairs that go up and maybe gravity is altered so now when you walk up those stairs you end up on the ceiling in the next room walking through something like that do you think you would have any idea how you could do something like that with like tiles no okay yeah me neither (laughs) whenever i think of a labyrinth encounter i actually think of the movie the labyrinth with david bowie and the end scene is that that they're in a the altered staircase and the gravity's all weird can you go into more detail for the people that haven't seen that okay so jareth the gang of goblins he's he's the big bad guy the boss guy He's wandering around through this part of the maze. He walks up to a ledge, and it looks like he falls off it. The Mm -hmm. camera pans back, and he's walking underneath the ceiling, underneath the person who's on top of the ceiling, Mm -hmm. because the gravity's shifted, and it just looks trippy. Yeah, would that affect magic? Like, or arrows? Yeah. I mean... Imagine shooting an arrow just... And watch it, like, spin around a corner, or turn, like, arc around a corner, because gravity's different? That would be horrible, though, because what if you shot an arrow and missed, and you end up shooting yourself in the ass because it went through a corridor (laughs) that teleported it? (laughs) Or if it's made out of a hedge, it goes through the... Because really, that would be a big difference with a hedge, too, is your objects could shoot through this thing. You might not be too thick to push yourself through, but small, fast, high-velocity items might pass through it. What it comes back to is, when you do your maze, try not to think of it as something that's enclosed as well. You can open your maze up where somebody goes into a room, and the room is ginormous, but there's like 20 exits out of it. In some rooms, you can only get to if you can fly, which that would really throw it off. You got like five, two rooms on the floor, and there's like 100 rooms on the ceiling. They're going to think, well, one of those got to be the way to go, not... Th- not the one right on the floors. What <laughs> <laughs> else I think uh, could really be added to a uh, labyrinths or mazes are things uh, like puzzles and riddles. Those really work. Like there's a famous riddle of uh, the guy that tells the truth and the guardian that tells the lie all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that you can't give these riddles to people because they can just use their intelligence savings and say, okay, I figured it out, even if they don't know the actual answer. Um, anyways, with the chase format, it comes not about trying to just outright defeat the um, Minotaur, but trying to escape him. And making it a very deadly will really get your point across. Get it? His point, his horn. <laughs> Because that's what I think of when I think Minotaur, don't you? Something that's near impossible to defeat, something that's super strong, right? Yeah. And also, if you're running mazes, definitely make sure you include the fact that time is important. When people get lost in mazes, you want to make sure you suck away their resources. (laughs) Um, Like they're getting thirsty, getting hungry, eating each other, that sort of thing. If they find each other. Well, I think that'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. We hope you answered your question, Blank. Please let me know uh, if I got this from you. I don't know where I got it, and uh, it'd be really great to hear. So, At the beginning of every show, we like to give away a wonderful uh, prize compliments to our buddies over at Goblin Stone. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. 
They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Brandon, who is our winner uh, this week? Our winner for this week is Barnum.Colton. Congratulations, Barnum Golden, uh, on your prize. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to Goblinstone and leave them a review and let them know what you like, what you didn't <laughs> like, to help them improve their product. Or just say, hey, good job. I love it. It's awesome. Hi. Hey. How you doing today? Yeah, good. How we doing? Oh, we're fantastic. Would you like us to call you BC Beats, or do you have a first name? Or is BC uh, you your can name? just call me Paul. Paul? Okay, Paul. It's Paul. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you on. Our main topic today is solo adventures. Now, up until recently, I didn't even know this was a thing. And I'm one of those DMs who always DMs. So I miss not being able to play by myself uh, or play as a player. And when I discovered your uh, your adventure, the Death Knight Squire, I think you've written more since mm-hmm. then. Am I correct? Two more since then. Okay. That's wow. Right. What are those? What are those called? Uh, okay. So the uh, the second one is called uh, the Tyrant of Zentil Keep. Okay. And that's part one of a two part, which is coming out. The next one is coming out next month. And then I've written a kind of a solo adventuring system uh, which is called tables of doom and that uh generates a lot of stuff randomly and, and guides you through a quest and that sort of thing that sounds it awesome contains two short solo quests and yeah and a system for adventuring solo that sounds that's, that's so cool sexy as name do <laughs> i was gonna originally call it something like um quest master was one thing i came up with and then someone's myriad quest machine and then i just thought hang on tables of doom Done. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, Paul, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm from New Zealand, obviously, originally, and D and D wise, I've been playing it since I was a kid, like 12 years old. You know, AD and D, uh, and a musician my entire life as well. And basically, just recently, um, I've sort of combined my love of writing and and role playing games into this whole solo adventure thing. You know, I've been writing for a long time as well. So I've, I've had a lot of creative pursuits uh, throughout my life. And it's kind of cool to be able to combine two or three things that I'm really passionate about into into one format. Uh, I'm also a dad, um, so I've got a little boy, and he's uh, he's not so big on board games. He's more, and, and D&D, he's more of a video game. Mm-hmm kind of guy but um you know yeah. i'm trying to get him into some uh, I, I get him to we play um, things like warhammer and stuff like that at home as well so um that's something i'm just trying to gently ease him into kind of without being like oh dad wants to play another one of his boring board games <laughs> again kind of thing but yeah no i, I kind of lately in, in the last like two to three years I've been studying a lot of solo adventure systems. In the 80s, we got in New Zealand, and, and it's actually an English thing. It's uh, fighting fantasy game books. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh, yeah. They're, they're kind of like um, in the States, you guys had uh, Choose Your Own Adventure, but yep. these have a combat system with dice and stuff like that. It's 
Steve Jackson and Livingston, mm-hmm. who are the same guys who created Warhammer and, and a bunch of other stuff. Right. Yeah, the Games Workshop guys, basically. That was their first foray into role-playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've been studying studying how they put their books together and also studying um, a lot of solo, a lot of other solo systems, like um, there's some great solo board games out there. Dungeon Quest is one that springs to mind. Uh, one Deck Dungeon is also the um, Pathfinder adventure card game. And just sort of looking at the mechanics of those and seeing how some of those aspects could be brought into D&D. Mm-hmm. into fifth edition and and find the things that I enjoy the most about those systems and bring them into D&D and actually try and make those available for other, for other people. If you had to place it on one thing, can you tell us what your your most memorable D&D moment is? Yeah, I we love, love, we I love, love hearing, hearing these. About these. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a unique moment. To... There's quite a few. The first one that springs to mind is when I was when I first started playing D&D back in the 80s and um, there was like a telethon. I don't know if you guys have these things in, in America, telethons. Um, it's pretty old school. Like, um, like ring, ring, ring. Well, well, it's like it's an '80s thing. It's it was sort of um, talking about landline phones. You'd have like a, a a TV show that would sort of like go for um for like a day, like twenty four hours, and all, you'd have all these people doing all these different challenges to raise money for charity and stuff. Uh-huh. And we did a D and D a thon, and they would sort of you know switch to us every now and then, and a bunch of kids playing D and D around a table and stuff. So that was kind of funny. That's cool. Um, yeah, the thing that probably springs to mind most recently is just a really epic character death that happened under my watch when I was playing with a bunch of guys uh, here in Christchurch, and um, it was a um, an adventure. They encountered a giant scorpion, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is all, all going very well." And his sting attack had missed every time, and then he <laughs> critted his sting attack, and it was oh. like. I, I don't know what the damage was. It was like 10d8 or something like that. And this guy was super bad, <laughs> but had been leading the party and this just absolutely annihilated him. <laughs> and he just rage quit. He just rage quit the second kind of thing. Got up, took his stuff and walked down. I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> Fuck that, this game. That's the equivalent of like controller throwing today, right? <laughs> they get up and they slam their computers and they walk away. And really the only thing they do is damage their own stuff or look foolish. Oh. So that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah. Do, we do have telethons too, yeah. especially back when yeah. people. PBS was a big thing. Yeah, I still don't. I don't. Original. You don't remember telethons? I didn't watch a lot of TV though. No, you didn't. So the only thing you I ever read, watched was, you know, I had these things called books. We <laughs> that come, were more interesting. I'd come over to your house in the morning before school, and we'd watch, we'd watch Pokemon. Oh, and I missed the get, bus half the time. And we'd get back home from school, and we'd watch Dragon Ball Z, and then I'd go home. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that sounds really interesting. I, lo- I actually don't think I've ever used. No, I think I have used a scorpion. I love those oh shit moments when you hit a player. <laughs> And you're like, yeah. man, I can't get them. I can't get them. And then you finally do get them, and it wrecks them. And you're like, well, maybe I missed them for a reason, I guess. But to, <laughs> to have them get up and, and storm off, did he did he come back or did he just leave? He left. He left. <laughs> but um, but he, he belonged to another. I'm, I'm a player with him in another game, so that was fine, you know. Um, so <laughs> hey, Billy, you feeling okay? Dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, kind of, but you know that's that's just what happens. All right, Billy. That's this time yeah, it I've, won't be a scorpion that kills you. <laughs> I, I, I learned my lesson with you is because you you've taught us if if it looks like you can't take it on, you probably can't type of thing. Mm-hmm. We wandered through the woods and like it was a giant spider ant or something like that. Grabbed a guy, ripped his arm off, and just started eating him. I was like, nope. <laughs> I just <laughs> turned around the other way. Yeah, I'm one of those DMs that don't when they ran when I do like the randoms encounters when they do survival checks. Sometimes they stumble against a T Rex and it's not something they can handle and they got to run away. You know, it's. it's Are you fine. like dinosaurs in your game? 
Uh, I like every creature. If it's in the book, I basically yeah, if I think about what's in the area and I say, okay, this would be here. I got one high level giant big baddie, and then here's kind of the more common stuff. And depending on like if they're making a survival check as they're you know trekking through a forest, and I would say that okay, you rolled really low, so you thought you were following this track, but actually you were you stumbled across uh, a, a T Rex, you know, feeding on something, and now make stealth checks to make sure it doesn't see you. Oh, you failed. Uh, it turns around and starts chasing you like out of something out of Jurassic Park and they would make the stand either to fight or to run and I try to make it clear that sometimes they you can't fight you're not the biggest baddest motherfucker out there so sometimes it doesn't go you have that one player that I can take anything and then he ends up be toe jam between a T-Rex's feet <laughs> so um so I was <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell us uh, uh a little bit about what made you decide to do Death Knight Squire and really why did you try to become a publisher? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think discovering DMs Guild was a big revelation for me. And, you know, I've been writing for a long time, like writing a lot of fantasy fiction. And I just noticed, like, where's all the solo adventures? Like, when I first got into D&D, there were, there were in the first edition and second edition, there were, um, TSR put out a bunch of solo adventures that were really fun and had a combat dynamic and that sort of thing. And also being heavily into board games as well. I just sort of, I looked at it and just noticed that that was a huge gap in the market and something that I could definitely fill. And so I just started writing something, you know, I just started, uh, I'd also um, designed a board game, me and a friend had designed a board game that was, it was aimed at solo use, a sci-fi, sort of like a cyberpunk board game. Mm -hmm. um, that We've shelved that for now, that's, that's not really doing anything. But yeah, I just saw that that was a, a massive gap in the market it, saw that there was a format to release it on through DMs Guild and just created it and and it actually came together pretty quick. Um, yeah, it's very you know, I nice. Think I, yeah, I maybe got the whole the whole thing done in like a month's time, just working really hard. Um, I also wow. had a bit of time off work at that time as well, so I had like days free to get a whole lot of work done on it. And yeah, and then made the sequel and was kind of blown away by how popular it was. I put a couple right. of posts up on the that big D and D fifth edition group. And it just got so much traction. Like there was, it was obvious to me that there was a huge, huge demand for that right. sort of thing. So um, just a whole lot of factors coming together at, at the right time, really. Right. Um, do you want to talk to talk to us and tell us a little bit about Death Knight Squire? Yeah, sure. It's a solo adventure for a single player without a DM, and most of the encounters and the way the book is structured. Is all based on maps. So you'll go to a certain entry and it will say, turn to this map. And then you turn to it and you can sort of explore different parts of the map, which takes you to different narrative entries and then from then bat encounters. And you're all working towards an end boss fight kind of thing. Obviously, um, there's opportunities to pick up loot and there's options for different classes for spell casting and things like that. I've tried to actually include at least one to two options for every single class, like specific class options, like if you are a druid, go to the sentry kind of thing. And if you're a cleric, you might get the opportunity to use turn undead and things like that. Right. Yeah. I've got this master list of all feats for all classes at like level one, level two, level three. So if it's a level three adventure, I just go to my level three list and I can see that, okay, these are all the feat options that are available to all classes. Mm -hmm. And actually it's a good way to create encounters. So I can go, right, I'm going to choose this feat here, like maybe like the favored enemy feat or something like that for, for a ranger, and, mm -hmm. then, um, and then go, right, I'm going to create an encounter just around using that feat. That is uh, a very interesting what? way to do it. I don't think I've ever 
sat and looked at all the different features that the cl- my my group has and say, okay, I want to make sure I try to include all these. Now, I've done that to an extent where I want to make sure that at least, okay, we're in the forest, so what does the druid and the, the ranger have? And I want to make sure I can't get use out of those. But I've never tried to look at like the party as a whole when building an adventure. Um, so that's yeah. really intriguing. Yeah, well, I, I'm a lot of my um, group play as a DM is um, or, uh, improv. You know, I'm a big fan of that uh, sly flourish, lazy dungeon master kind of, <laughs> yeah. um, way of doing things. I also like to use Mythic a lot, the Mythic uh, GM system when I'm GMing as well, just to create random events and keep things a little bit crazy. I've, I've already sort of dabbled in those those techniques about just looking at my party looking at their backstory and their feats and things like that and using those to sort of trigger um, how I come up with adventure seeds and, and, and plot hooks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I work. That's very cool, man. And uh, honestly, <laughs> you were kind enough. I actually I think I reached out to you about having you on the show when you were kind enough to give me a copy of Death Knight Squire, and I played it, and I love mm-hmm. it. And actually, I can't wait to play it again and pick different options to see how it changes uh, the story or if I have an easier time because it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Like, I, for some reason, I went in thinking this will be super easy. And if I wasn't a cleric, I feel like I probably wouldn't have actually beat the beat the adventure. Um. Sure. Without giving away too much, for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting because different people have said, oh, it was really hard. I couldn't couldn't get through. I died on like the second map kind of thing. And then other people were like, this is this is almost too easy. You know, right. I, I, maybe I took the shortest route and, and made it straight through. But I um, it's uh, there's a few different. I think that's the tricky part with writing a, a solo adventure is it's really hard to predict what class people are going to choose, what race people are going to choose, what their play style is. Um, you know, there's going to be more experienced players who are going to just instinctively find a bit a quicker and easier way through the adventure. I don't know, you know, yeah. uh, but I think you know is the the second book. I think um, I've put quite a bit of thought into challenge levels and things like that, and and also you know. If I get those, sometimes you get those complaints. Like I had a thing for my play, some of my playtesters. Like, oh my god, I died! Like, you know, this is. Do, do we need to pay attention to this? Like, I died on at this point in the adventure. I'm like, well, it's D and D. You know, you, you <laughs> die. Sometimes, sometimes you die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's fifth edition. You know, there's there's so many safeguards from that happening to your PC. So I kind of like the idea that you you have to roll up a new character, go back to the start, and try again. You know, it's right. you're getting actually a bit more uh, replayability. You're getting a bit more mileage out of the adventure if right, it's right. a challenge. And when you actually get to the end of it, you kind of feel like you've achieved something. I think so. Yeah, uh, I definitely uh, agree 100%. Like I said, I, I already want to go through it again, not only to see how it ends differently, but to see if I can do it e- better. Like, are yeah. there is there something I can build that will make me better and have an easier time? It sounds like some people have found those combinations, but it drew me to want to do it again. And I think the writing in it is awesome. I think you tell a good story. If I had one critique... Uh, it would yep. be that there was a couple times where I kind of got lost between the map switching, but uh, that just might be because I'm an idiot, <laughs> to be <laughs> at all honestly. But I think that happened only twice. I use maps a little bit less in the second one. Um, the maps are mainly used just for encounters. Yep. Uh, in the second one, and I, I think I've managed the map thing a little bit better 
in number two. But yeah, I hear you. It's um, it is kind of flicking between those maps all the time and coordinating with the with the entries is a is a different style of play, which you know maybe not everyone is used to. Right, right. Now, do you have? Did you? I thought I saw a copy of your game. Uh, is it on Fantasy Grounds? Did yes. You, did you? Yeah. Really, uh, there's holy... a guy called Rob Tui. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's uh-huh. converted book number one and book number two for Fantasy Grounds, and um, I've heard I've only heard good things. Yeah, that I imagine is, that is, handles a lot of some of the any of the issues because everything can be segregated into different areas on the screen, which would make that I feel like that would flow perfect in that type of setting. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've seen a, a playthrough of it on YouTube. There's actually a video that you can uh, that watch where there's a guy plays through the whole thing, and, the, and yeah, I really like the way that you can actually mm-hmm. tie all those different panels right. and fantasy grounds it's great so i was wondering would you be willing to uh, kind of walk us through the process you went in the in the writing and the development and the testing uh when it comes to uh death knight squire like how yeah. what was your process of creation yeah um have either of you guys published a uh module on dm's guild or anywhere else we are we're working on it <laughs> we're actually in the process of doing that at the end of our show we have our honor tips and tricks and we're uh, planning on publishing an entire book that's yeah. got like 25 dm tips player tips monster variants mm. all that all the stuff in our honor tips and tricks is going to be a book with 25 of each of them so we're actually yeah. in the making of that right now um we had jeff stevens on a few weeks ago um and he really went into depth on the process for that for us so really opened our eyes so we're hoping to get there but we're not there yet a big factor in determining how i wrote the adventure was what art what visual art was available to me mm-hmm. with the with the DMs Guild products? Uh, a lot of the really top shelf material has great art. So um, I went through a stage of about two or three weeks where I downloaded all the free art resources from uh, <laughs> from DMs Guild. I've done that. Bought a bunch of art packs. Patrick E. Pullen and, and all these other guys and just went through and looked at all these images and sort of started to try and form a picture out of the images rather than actually write a story mm-hmm. and then fit, find the art to fit the image. Oh, um, wow. Find the, find the art to fit the story. I structured my story around the available images. That is um, really which cool. That I would have the art that I needed sort of thing, you know. So, And it was cool. It was a nice way to sort of inspire story hooks and things like that. Right, but right. also being conscious of like the fact that it was a level two adventure. I needed to keep an eye on balance and things like that. So I just sort of put things together, put encounters together just based on that art and that was a really fun process. The next stage was um, sitting in Photoshop and making a huge map of the entire adventure, you know, with like the different entrances to each encounter mm-hmm. or, you know, things to explore. Right. Uh, and then splitting it into, I think, 16 different tiles. I forget exactly how many maps are in there. I think it's 16. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, structuring those and putting those into a map booklet. Uh, and then there's just the writing stage. So I'm giving away a lot of a lot of secrets here. Um, oh well, you don't have uh, to. You can go in as yeah. little detail as you want. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the sure. idea is that we try to capture each DM's unique style that makes them different. So collectively, our listeners can compile what they think are really good and and uh, apply them. But you can go in as little or as a lot of detail as you want. I don't feel uh, no pressure oh, yeah. to 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 do that. So then I'd start composing um, the entries, each adventure entry, and looking as I talked about before. At, um, PC feats and uh, skills uh, and just things like making sure that all my skill checks were sort of balanced, mm-hmm. that it wasn't just perception or, or whatever all the time. Right. 
um, trying to sort of give an opportunity for different different players to shine and then just going through and creating each encounter and just working my way through it up to the final encounter. Also through this whole period I've got an introduction to the adventure which contains all the rules specific to this mm-hmm. solo system and I'm building on that and writing that and then finally when the whole thing's written sending it out to play testers and actually getting like an army of play testers like a dozen because <laughs> you know you need that really sort of broad range of feedback right. um to get an idea if your adventure's balanced and and they'll just point out things like glaring oversights that you've you've missed somehow right. was there yeah, any uh, glaring you, oversights that you missed when writing your adventure that somebody pointed out specifically like oh, oh i don't know how like, i missed that <laughs> yeah missed entries and and uh monsters that are either way too easy to defeat or way too hard to defeat mm-hmm. or giving away really overpowered magic items and the, i'm kind of generous at times as a dm <laughs> you know I like, sort of, I like to keep my, my players hooked into the story so i might might give them something that they perhaps haven't earned a hundred percent kind of <laughs> here you yeah. slayed you slayed this groundhog here have a legendary sword <laughs> <laughs> where was it carrying that Yep. very cool um, yeah and then uh, i really love the lore aspect of it you know like you get you get your your bunch of art together and stuff and then just work on the story and and um and the background and that sort of thing that's kind of the part that i really love just right, the right. actual story of the adventure that's that's my favorite part before and, actually creating the entries but yeah the the play testers all will send stuff back to you towards the end of the the death knight squire writing that one of my play testers um when the pdf was like almost finished said hey do you know what would be really cool if you could um create active links within the pdf i'm pretty sure there's a way that you can create um <laughs> cre- uh, this is this is going out to my play tester josh cheers man it was uh, it created like another week's work for me and creating all these- <laughs> it was worth so, it though i think uh, I've, I've got my system, I've streamlined my system for that a little bit more now too, so I can get that, that done a bit quicker. Awesome. But yeah, I think that, that added a, a really cool dimension, the fact that you didn't have to scroll through the PDF to get to your right, next right. entry. You could just click and it would no, take you straight. Me, and it was super helpful. Yeah, and I, I still got lost on one one part, but that once again, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still don't to this day after going through, I was like, how did I do that? But the, definitely I agree with, was it Joshua? Um, yeah, yeah. That that was an ingenious idea, um, and I'm glad that you implemented it because it definitely made that flow a lot easier than scrolling through everything. Oh, so kudos, and sorry you had an extra week of work, but I think it was worth it. <laughs> you got to listen you got to listen to your play testers. For Absolutely. Sure. Aside from being a solo adventure, besides being just a solo adventure, what makes Death Knight Squire different maybe from uh, other products and, uh, that would pull, pull people in to want to play this? The one thing that's going to make people perhaps want to play this is that there's a lot of people getting into D&D 5th edition now. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it just, you know, you guys are obviously aware that it's going through just the most huge resurgence yes. the game. And, um, but, you know, like a lot of those people can't find a group, you know, so I think that's a, a big draw card, having a, having a solo adventure. Like when the first, the first D&D product I ever bought was the, the Red Starter set. I think it was like 1983 or something mm. that it came out and I was about 11 or 12 years old. And the fact that the first book had a solo adventure in it mm-hmm. was a huge um, draw card, you know, like you could roll up a character and instantly start playing, you know, and right. you could replay that solo adventure like two or three times before you 
got sick of it kind of thing, but it made you want to find a group. I'd like to think that my adventure, which has been way more popular than I ever thought it was going to be. Doesn't that an awesome it, feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> incredible. Um, even now that I've put my second and third solo adventure out, it still continues to be the most popular. That first one still continues mm-hmm. to be the most popular one. But yeah, I think it just provides a way for someone who's maybe in, in a small town or doesn't have any other friends who are into D&D to just kind of get a taste of the game and and, you know, I, I think that's that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, uh, you hit it right on the nose. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the crew that you worked with? Or I, mean, I, I assume it wasn't completely done by yourself. Like, was there someone who had helped you along? Was there a crew involved, or was it just you? Yeah. With the book, uh, well, yeah, just me. Apart from my playtesters, it was wow. It was just it's a lot of work. Um, yeah, yeah. You can't sort of denigrate the the importance of those um, suggestions that playtesters make. You know, because mm-hmm. they'll make suggestions rec- regarding mechanics and ways of doing things that kind of change the whole feel of of the adventure but yeah in the end it was me doing all the all the hard slog and getting that's impressive i have the attention span of a gnat so even just just sitting down to write is really hard so i give you (laughs) being able to sit and do that and you would you say like a month's time yeah that's i do a lot of writing like that's um, awesome i'm I'm kind of quite disciplined in that way um i've also got where is it it's not here at the moment i've got this old like word processor thing it's called a um it's called an Alpha Smart Neo, uh-huh. and it's like a little '90s word processor that they used to use in in schools. Um, and it's got no internet. Uh, <laughs> it's got it's got a little LCD screen about this big, which can fit six lines of text. But um, you can like write a, like a 100k words book on there, um, and store it there, and then transfer it to your laptop, transfer the text to your laptop. So that's a really helpful tool for me to get a whole lot of writing done without being distracted by social media all the time which is um that's my problem really (laughs) yeah yeah i've just i've just got like zero willpower when it comes to you know being distracted by the internet so (laughs) that's uh that was yeah they're really good they're like 40 bucks on ebay or something Um, (laughs) what was your favorite part of creating the death night square well, I'd have to say either creating the backstory, like the actual story of the adventure. The other part would be the final encounter. I think that's the the with the text entries and stuff like that, and just writing the character nice. of the the final monster. You know, the final encounter is um, it was a lot of fun, definitely. And it was one thing to be really through. careful of when you're writing a solo adventure is you're not allowed to use any gender specific pronouns. Because you know someone might have the the female right. dwarven dwarven barbarian or whatever, so you know you've got some girl who's been reading through adventure, and then it gets to a you accidentally left a um, someone addresses the character as sir or something like that, and it's like it kind of ru- ruins the experience for them a little bit. So I was really careful to avoid any um, any put <laughs> in parentheses for, sir or ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's funny because I I hadn't noticed that until you said something, but I bet I would have noticed. If I had been playing yeah. a different character than what was posted, yeah, that would be quite jarring. <laughs> That's so subtle. I kudos to you because, like I said, I wouldn't even have thought of that until I was running through it. And if it said "ma'am" or something, I just yeah, <laughs> that's very cool. One of the next questions is, you know, what kind of challenges do you run into? But that seems like uh, it, does that something you discovered later in the game or? Yeah, that's something that occurred to me later on. I was, I was, I think one of my playtesters again pointed it out to me, and you know, that was like, oh yeah, that's 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 uh, that needs to be fixed kind of thing but yeah a big part of the challenge with writing a game book style adventure is just 
getting all the entries coordinated you know mm -hmm. what i mean like the whole system of this um path leads to these two options uh -huh. you know and this option leads to these three options and that branching tree of of options just keeping your head on that and, and keeping that all organized is um and then checking to make sure that all those options lead somewhere and then you know again lead to a different thread and it's it's uh it's a lot to manage kind of thing yeah. so make sure you don't that, have any that, dead that, ends that on right? it's, it's <laughs> a lot of time yeah i can only imagine yeah. Since I make everything up on the fly, that would be really impossible for me to do. <laughs> but that on-the-fly creation—that's it's a great, um, you know, you, you want your encounters to feel not so planned. You want them right. to the an element of of craziness and randomness to them. So, for sure, yeah. My favorite solo adventures are the ones that have the most kind of options that you can branch off on. So. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a favorite part of your material, like a favorite encounter or a favorite NPC or anything like that you could kind of talk to uh, talk to us about? I mean, of all the stuff you've you've published, what is your your kind of your favorite material? Let me think. So in my second book, which is called The Tyrant of Zental Keep, you navigate your way through the adventure with a big city map of Zental Keep, which has different areas that you can visit uh, mm -hmm. on there, and there's an entry number. So if you want to go to the Bane Temple, you go to uh, this entry, you know, and that takes you there. I think that um, there's a, an adventure that I, a little side quest that I wrote in that, which has some Dwarven NPCs that I really kind of fell in love with, you know. There's a there's an uncle and nephew combo, and they're just kind of constantly bickering, and the uncle's kind of like bopping his, his nephew over the head all the time because he's coming up with all these, he's a bit of an entitled, <laughs> a like a royal family of, of and, and, this, and the nephew's always like really entitled and used to having things his own way and he's always getting <laughs> clipped around the ear by his uncle kind of thing That's um funny. so yeah I, like it, was, it wasn't until the second book <laughs> that i sort of realized there's an old school uh, uh fourth edition solo adventure called dark awakenings and in there I, I played through that just as a bit of research and a, mm -hmm. and a bit of fun and there's an npc in there um that accompanies the solo you know the solo pc and I thought, hang on, how come I didn't put an NPC in the first adventure? That's crazy. From that point on, I thought, like, you know, I'm going to use NPCs a bit more. It's just kind of nice for your solo adventurer to have a little little bit of company, you know, to, to through side quests and things like that. So, um, and here's here's a, here's a good question mm -hmm. for all of us. Are there any new secret projects coming up that you can give the listeners a little taste of? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my uh, the sequel to The Tyrant of Zental Keep, which is called Citadel of the Raven. I'm working really hard on that at the moment. Can I just say how awesome your uh, names are? <laughs> every, like my adventure is like the Death Keep. The everything death about this curve, is amazing. The Death Hill, you know. The names, spend, the adventures. I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time thinking about the name of my adventure. It shows. Um, I'll probably like um, come up with like a, a list of names, like about twenty names. And I'll just I'll put a poll up on my face. I've got a little Facebook page. Oh, by the way, if, if anyone is listening mm -hmm. who's into D and D solo adventures, go on Facebook and search for a group called D and D Solo Adventures. That's my group. You can come and join. We're up to about five hundred and fifty members, and we've we put a, we put some like little freebies up there from time to time and stuff. So I expect to get I, I expect to see you guys on there later today. Yeah, um, uh, I'm, I think I think I already. Uh... 
Five hundred more I than us. I think I follow it already. Well, no. We, yeah, he's <laughs> something like that. We've been in a business show. I'm doing the show for what a year, and just I over think we just hit over five hundred. So kudos <laughs> to you, man. <laughs> I think the nature of of the whole solo adventure thing is like it's it's got a lot of appeal, you know, um, yeah. for for all the reasons that we talked about, you know. So it's not only the fact that I, um, you know, write good adventures, which I, I think I do. I think I there's agree. just a demand for that kind of adventure mm -hmm. as well. But yeah, getting back to names, like I'll, I'll get it down to a short list and then I'll put a poll up on my group and get people to vote on the name they like the most. Uh, but my next thing I'm thinking about, um, I love Mythic. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the Mythic GM emulator system. Uh, no, I'm not. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's a system that basically emulates the role of the Dungeon Master through a series of yes-no questions. You're the one player, and you might go, okay, my my character's entering a room. Is the room empty? And you ask the system, um, and it's generated by um, D100 rolls, and you have a, a chaos ranking also, which influences how the, the questions come out. Mm -hmm. But you'll go, no, the room's not empty. Okay, uh, is there something living in there? And you roll the dice again, yes. Uh, is it a monster? Uh, no. Uh, is it an NPC? Yes. And, it, and you sort of go like go through it like that. It's just a series of – so you actually create the, the adventure as you're going through it. <laughs> um, it's very cool. I urge you to check it out. It's is that really, like, really cool. Do you know what the, like a web address for that is? Drive through RPG. Just um, go on there and uh, enter Mythic GM Emulator. And it's like a blue-covered book. Very easy to learn system as well. Works with basically any RPG. Mm -hmm. uh, it also has its own RPG that comes with it as well. Um, but you can use it with D&D very easily. Someone also has made a little Flash-based emulator, but I'm not going to give you the link for that. You'll have to go and find, find that. Um, okay. I'm not sure if it's entirely legal. I don't know if they got the, the, yeah. um, the <laughs> permission of creators of Mythic, but you, even if you do have that, you still need the um, the Mythic book to kind of understand how all that works. Uh, getting back to m what I was originally talking about. Sorry, uh, we do playing, a lot. Playing Mythic just recently, I guided my party of two as a tabaxi paladin and a um and an elven druid through an adventure in raven's bluff which they're kind of in the middle of and that's sort of given me a really good idea for my next adventure so i've got this mythic campaign that i've, I've got a party of, of two which sometimes balloons out to four uh <laughs> that they're going through and um some parts of the adventure sort of give me really good ideas for stories so um they've found this halfling entertainer woman who um says she is the rightful heir to the throne of gallant and this is in the film so uh, it's like gallant what's that i've never heard of that oh it's like a um it's like a mythical kingdom that she's sort of um discovered inside a portal within the city of Sabreen, which is uh, an ancient dwarven city underneath um raven's bluff so they need to go and go into the, uh, this portal into this mythic land and figure out how to get her back on the throne the ancient dwarves um put a a, a, uh, a sentinel like a magical item a sentient magical item to guard all their treasure that's awesome. Um, but this this sentinel has lost its mind and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and appointed itself ruler of this crazy little <laughs> kingdom kind of thing. Uh, and, now, and now has enslaved all these dwarves to kind of mine minerals inside this kingdom to create more sentient little magic sentinels kind of thing. So the characters have to get in there and somehow get control of the kingdom back from this sentient magical item. So that's that's kind of maybe an idea for that my next That sounds awesome. It really does. For my next book. 
Um, how I'm going to find the art for that is another question entirely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might have to commission it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that's the most costly uh, part of uh, of getting uh, your own material out there is if you decide to commission your own art. The other thing that, that I'm sort of thinking about is um, where my last solo adventure ends, um, which is kind of in the Moon City region, I then have to sort of like look around that area and go, okay, where could the character conceivably travel to next right. kind of thing because they're on foot and maybe kind of think about um, putting an adventure in that place and also looking for on the Faerun map, on the Forgotten Realms map, looking for big gaps where anything could be in there. You know what I mean? Nice, where nice. I can actually create a little village or and not be so restricted by the lore in that area. Right. I can kind of create my own lore a little bit. I feel if like you're releasing products really gives Dungeon you that Masters opportunity. Deal, you're, you're restricted to to the Forgotten Realms, so right. you kind of got to work with. I, th I feel yeah. like uh, no, it's okay. I feel like uh, Forgotten Realms does a really good job of giving you lots of empty space. Um, I think they did. I think they did a pretty good job on that. So I do have a little freebie to give uh, the watchers of the show oh. if they're interested. Oh, absolutely! It's a very small PDF, uh, ten pages of tables, and it's called uh, Slips Trips and flying turnips and uh what it is is um it's a list of uh rollable tables for random events during combat encounters not not like crit fails or anything like that more just I'll, I'll just pull the pdf up and give you guys a little little sample but i'll send you the pdf is this by 5e solo game books it is indeed i, yes. I found the link found and i will put it in the show notes for our listeners do you want to still read something from it for us yeah i've just gotta like find it first all right, so I'll just read from a little table here just to give you a taste of, of the kind of flavor of what we're dealing with. Here we go. <laughs> this is just from table one, and uh, this is Urban Events, Town Village, and this is where I got the pulled the title of it from. Table one, Standard Distractions, D8. One, a peasant lobs a turnip at your head. Uh, <laughs> two. <laughs> so, you know, the DM can interpret that however they want. Uh, as you you move forward to attack, a child grabs your ankle, spend 10 feet of movement dealing with it. Uh, <laughs> Get off me, bastard. <laughs> three, one of your enemies trips on a stone, free attack. Someone, uh, four, someone yells, putting the enemy off. And next attack at advantage due to them being so enraged. Seven, a horse bolts through the street and you will need to get out of the way. Reroll initiative. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Five, a random arrow seemingly out of nowhere strikes the enemy. So you can so sort of see how it's like when you're fighting, the world that's around you doesn't stop. You right, know what right. I mean? Yeah. The things are going on. So I've got three sets of tables. Um, there's urban, uh, the towns and villages, there's wilderness, and there's dungeon. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're, they're, you wouldn't want to be using these all the time because players would be like, they would kind of probably get sick of it quite fast. But maybe one in every, like, three or four combat encounters. You right, can pull right. out one of the tables and roll on it and and just throw something like a, you're in a dungeon and a section of the floor just completely crumbles away creating a huge chasm uh, in the middle of the combat area kind of thing see i love or stuff I've got, like that like a, a bunch of a bunch of little goblins comes in uh and s sits down to watch your um battle with the giant scorpion and then uh, <laughs> one, one of them starts taking bets on who's going to win the battle kind of thing like so that. things like that you know just random or you know a secret door opens someone comes out looks at the combat encounter and then just walks back in and the door shuts. <laughs> I love random shit like that. That's awesome. Anything that makes the encounter seem really dynamic, 
as if That's right. And I think I think players remember that sort of stuff, you know, like it's rather than just standing adjacent and bashing the crap out of each other, it's kind right, of like right. it, it just adds a bit of humor and a bit of fun. I can just see of, during oh. a sword fight and then you guys get into like a, a sword lock and then a door opens and a guy just kind of yeah. and shuts in. No, I'm out. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Paul, we want to thank you for joining us today. We really enjoyed hearing a lot about uh, your process and um, your solo adventures. And for all of our listeners, they can find all your content on DMs Guild, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Yep. I, I cannot recommend uh, Death Knight Squire enough. Like I said, if it's that one night and everyone cancels and you can't do it, this is something you can sit down. I think it took me like two hours to go through um, and I wasn't doing anything else. So it really was really, <laughs> it was it was convenient. And if you like a compulsive character builder and you want to actually use those characters going to solo adventures is a really good way to do that and homebrew characters too i've had people tell me that it's good for like playtesting homebrew classes i wouldn't like that i didn't even think about that that's actually really cool i like that yeah Yeah. and also um if uh, listeners want to come and search out our DD solo adventures page it's a basically a platform i created to shamelessly promote myself but i also put um links to other solo adventure resources and and we do conversions of older DD solo adventures and things like that on this so um come and join yeah and actually uh for your convenience i will put the link in the show notes as well we've really enjoyed having you on and we're glad that you were able to join us uh i have actually found your facebook group and i'm also going to uh add that to the uh to the show notes so people can just click the link right out of the show notes and visit you or they can search cool. through facebook uh dungeons and dragons solo adventures so um thanks again no. for joining us uh we hope you enjoyed your experience here at the crit academy <laughs> um, you guys are a blast it's awesome. <laughs> and you yeah. caught us on a bad day <laughs> yeah thanks for joining us you have a great day boss <laughs> you too take care guys what did you think about that i really enjoyed it that was, that was great. I don't know why I love listening to publishers talk through their process. So we have another wonderful prize to give away. Compliments of our buddy Chris over at Loresmith. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Compliments of Loresmith. Loresmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Brandon, who's our winner today? Our winner for this week for Lord Smith is Coolin.14. So I guess what we'll do is we'll go ahead and move into our Unearthed Tips and Tricks. Our character concept comes from patron Joe Lorando, titled Bad Press. So I, uh, he says he here likes to create a well-known bard NPC who dislikes the party for no real apparent reason. And he likes to head up, heads up a smear campaign against the party, <laughs> spreading rumors and questioning the motives of the party. Kind of like J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man. He might catch wind of a bandit raid and imply that the party is part of a turf war with the local bandit groups. He might accuse the party of a scandal with a noble's child, or he could go as far to give them false leads about quests to try to get them all killed. Why are you doing this to us? Because I hate you. 
<laughs> so I really I this is something really cool. Now he talks about an NPC. I think if it's done right, this could be a very interesting player character too. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. I I, I like the overarching uh, plot here about trying to make everything the heroes do seem like it's bad, <laughs> even bad. though what they're trying to do is good. And J. Jonah Jameson's a really great example of that because what Spider-Man generally is doing is good, but since he's not authorized to be doing that, he doesn't have any sort of... Uh, Jurisdiction? Yeah, <laughs> nothing like that. So, And the players are kind of the same. Adventurers are the same, right? You walk into a town that's got a militia, that's got guards, and you start taking on work that some people ask you, but not everyone wants you there to do it, especially when you get into a town or a city that's very private, and they don't want you know outsiders coming in so now you have this one guy who's just trying to fight against all adventurers and spread smear campaigns against them and say that they're a nuisance and if adventurers weren't out there or the heroes weren't out there there wouldn't be all this bad stuff happening to begin with right <laughs> what a um, dick <laughs> for an npc that could be really really <laughs> fun especially if you like to use like job boards and stuff like that where every time the the heroes went to check the job board the one of the quests is about dealing with this menace um, dealing with that that part as they're a menace, you know, and trying to arrest them or, 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 or capture them or get them thrown in jail or something like that. As a PC, I could think this could be a really good way to play like a, uh, an evil style character who's got kind of stuff going on in the background and he's smearing the names of the heroes to draw attention to that to pull it off this other thing that's going on. <laughs> And so he hides what he's doing by trying to get everyone involved, probably more discreetly if he's a party member than like an NPC who could just come out outright and just start hooting and hollering about them and running up to their face and calling them menaces and stuff like that. What do you think about that? As I said, dick. <laughs> that would be so troublesome. How so? Because as the players, you're trying to do your best to do the right thing in your minds. And you do all this hard work. And especially for the actual players, because you just spent three hours doing this dungeon dive. And, rescuing a child. And you're rescuing someone or something like that. <laughs> and then, then you have this little dick bag come up and be like, these guys are a bunch of evil nuisances. We need to get rid of them. Look at that. They kidnapped that noble's child, even though they're probably bringing it back. <laughs> exactly. It's so fucked up. It's all it's all a ruse, you know? And if, if I were one of those players, I would know who to put next on my hit list. <laughs> Joe, actually, who's listening right now, says uh, you could also be played as a way to take down a noble in an intrigue campaign. Oh, so the players become the smears of somebody's name. <laughs> so I, I agree. I think that could be really cool. I like the political intrigue, but unfortunately, I don't do them as often as I should. But I definitely think it would be cool to encourage the party to... Instead of just trying to do a combat, trying to say, okay, your goal here is to get the crowd or the town or another noble council to start to see this guy as all these other things. Now, what would be interesting, I think, is an e part of like a darker evil campaign where the noble truly is a good guy and the players are out to make him look like a terrible guy so this other really bad guy <laughs> can take charge. I think this is a fun concept. I definitely think if you wanted to run something like this in the game, talk to the DM and maybe you can work something out, say, hey, this is what I'd like to do. So now every time the heroes come back after doing a heroic duty, um, within a day they start to hear all these rumors of a, a twisted version of what they did. <laughs> so I think that is really cool. Why did the soldier go to the bathroom? Because it was his duty. <laughs> Where did that even come from? Uh, you said heroic duty. and made me think of I was Penelope Von Schweetz from Wreck-It Ralph. So that'll do it for our character concept uh, today. Thank you, Joe, for that. We appreciate it. Bad press.
Man, that's awesome. Our next on our tips and trick is our monster van variant, conveniently called the Dark Knight. With the, the whole <laughs> Death Knight thing going on, if you don't know, a Death Knight is a very high-level uh, creature. I think it's like a CR 16 or 17 or something. <laughs> so sometimes sometimes that's not enough for me. I need I, I want that feel, but I not want it in a smaller... I, well, sometimes I want that same feeling, but I want it in a smaller package. So, so you wanted to make it a CR fuck me? <laughs> no, I, a CR 3, actually, but hey. Oh, um, okay. So, you know, I, I decided <laughs> to kind of take that feel and give it to uh, the knight. Um, so in order to really get that feeling, we needed uh, a few key new abilities. So the new feature that we give it is we have Martial Undead. Unless the Dark Knight is incapacitated, it and undead creatures of its choice within 60 feet of it will have advantage on saving throws against features that turn undead. So it makes them more resistant to an ability that's designed to stun them away, which I think is just fantastic. <laughs> Do you want to uh, take the next one, uh, next the feature there? <laughs> the Flames of Nine Hells. Ooh, that sounds cool. <laughs> sounds terrifying. <laughs> Supposed to be. As a bonus action, the Dark Knight can summon forth fiery flames from the Nine Hills and imbue them within his melee weapon for one minute. The blade glows a black and purple flame and sheds dim light within ten feet. When the Dark Knight hits a target with a melee attack, the target ignites in flames. You sure this is a CR3? <laughs> <laughs> well, its damage doesn't go out of the range, if that's what you're asking. At the start of each of its turns... Will it kill people? Probably. Or after one minute. The target must make a DC 13 con save. On a failed save, it takes 1d6 fire damage. On a successful save, the effect ends. If the target or a creature within 5 feet of it uses an action to put out the flames, or if some other effect douses the flames, the effect ends. That would suck. Basically, it turns his weapon into like a flame burge or flame... Firebrand or whatever the flaming sword is, um, so not, but not, it doesn't. Not. <laughs> it doesn't just. It doesn't increase the damage of the weapon per se, but it catches them on fire, causing them to burn, which I think is <laughs> not really only cool. does it cut you, but it sets you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I like the description with the kind of the the dark purple flames. I just think that sounds awesome, and would give it kind of an otherworldly feel. Now, of course, we wouldn't be Death Knighty if we didn't have some sort of powerful Death Knighty blast, right? <laughs> so we have the Hellfire Blast. The Dark Knight hurls a black and purple magical ball of fire that explodes at a point it can see within 120 feet of it. Each creature within a 20-foot radius sphere centered on the point must make a DC 14 dexterity saving throw. I think that number might be a little high. I'd have to double check. Could be a 13. Change it if you think it's too high. Uh, the sphere, <laughs> the sphere uh, spreads around corners. A creature takes 4d6 fire damage and 4d6 necrotic damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one so essentially i took the idea of one of the death knight's ability like the the black orb or dark orb or whatever the this, this hellfire orb maybe i don't remember what it's called and i just supplemented it with fireball and just gave it a different name um he can only use it once per day which means he'll only fire it off once in an encounter but that should be like the opening move. F you, kaboom, you know? Because <laughs> how that'd be pretty intimidating if that's the first move of this guy with this giant, like, great sword or something. You know what I mean? Because um, mm -hmm. they, then they got to wonder if he can do it again, you know? But it really, the idea is to really <sighs> give this, this character the really, the Death Knighty feel, but without the, the such power. So bringing him down to a, a CR3 and calling him a Dark Knight, he's like a, he's like a baby Death Knight, I guess you could say. He's not quite, uh, he's not quite earned his Death Wings or anything yet but um i thought this was a really fun one i've done something similar with like uh eldritch knights and kind of mixing them with my 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 cre my creatures and this ended up being a really nice way to do that um i like 
I think that this could be really cool in like a very low tone uh, game where it's got a very dark and gritty kind of feel. Because this big black guy in full plate armor just shows up ready to, to, to rock your world, I think is awesome. Um, I think you can get really creative, like how the fire blast works, um, whether it hurls from his blade or from his, you know, like he pulls his helmet off like scorpion and then shoots it out of his <laughs> mouth or something like that would be really cool. The dark night causes chaos in Gotham. You don't understand. <laughs> a different dark night, bro. Uh, you see, you cut somebody with a sword and only bats an eye. But when you get blown up by a fire blast with fire and acid, everyone loses their minds. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, do you have any other uh, ideas or thoughts on this? How you can kind of see this kind of creature being involved in a in a battle, like maybe it's maybe a boss, maybe like a low, a low level boss. I can imagine this being a like a boss that you begin a fight with or something like that, or he says, "Hey, I'm gonna get you," and he runs off and you chase after him and he puts you into a and or leads you into a small area, mm-hmm. just a room, and then he sets off the hellfire blast where you can't get out. <laughs> you cannot escape. <laughs> So that'll do it for our monster variant, The Dark Knight, not to be confused with Batman. Our encounter of the podcast is uh, The Undying Spectre. So I just started watching Supernatural again. I started back from the beginning and watching it with the wife. Um, so this is kind of the inspiration. Of this. So the idea behind this is having an encounter. Uh, in this, this example, I chose a spectre, an apparition that can't really be killed. They can kill it off in one encounter, and then it just comes back later. Uh, and repeatedly coming back and back and back after they've decided they've defeated it until finally you start to feed them a little bit of in, uh, information that they need a special ritual or some sort of uh, special r- ritual to weaken it or maybe there's a specific type of ritual needs to take place in order to make it killable. killable. Uh, essentially yeah. <laughs> in, in supernatural for example you know they can't pass like through salt and and stuff like that so maybe you would have to encircle it in salt and, and and attack it while it's strapped inside to get rid of it or maybe you need to to figure out who the specter was in a previous life and find an object of itself and, and burn it or maybe you need to trick it into going into hollowed ground and you need to kill it over hollowed ground or maybe you need to trap it in a circle of salt have an old possession on hollowed ground and burn it and kill it at the same time. You know, coming up with a, a, a creative way to deal with a monster than outright just trying to kill it. Now, it's weak enough that every time they encounter it, they can kill it. But if it's coming back like every 15 minutes or every 20 minutes, <laughs> eventually the heroes are going to get exhausted from dealing with it. And so it's going to start to tax their resources. Especially, this is always good for like the, the, the mages in the group because they like to burn all their spell slots and pump out power instantly (laughs) and then they're gone and oh poof you know 20 minutes later this thing is terrorizing them again instead you know this is a good this is a good way to have the person that likes lore and likes that sort of style of play likes to investigate help them to uncover these sort of ideas and, and rituals and things that need to be done in order to properly dispose of this menace what do you think about that I think that would just be a horrendous encounter and so annoying after so long. But I, I think something else could be added would be um would be like adding the the thought that specters and ghosts it, it's usually common knowledge that they can't cross water. Is that common knowledge? I don't think that's a thing yeah, in you, 5e, but maybe usually. Well, even if, Anyways, even if it's not, some sort the, the of DM, like that. The DM could go somewhere along the lines of that and say, "Hey, this specters, ghosts, apparitions, they can't cross water. What if they do need that rest and they can take a boat out into the middle of the lake?" But now they know somewhere around this rim of the lake, this thing's just waiting for them to come back. back. (laughs) (laughs) Wait them out. Especially if it's like a salt lake or something. 
salt water where they can't, you know, they can't just drink it. Do they have saltwater lakes? I know they got like, you know, yeah, I think they do. The Dead Sea or something. Um, anyways, um, so the idea behind here is pretty simple. It's not that we're just outright killing something is going to do the job. And I think it would make for a very interesting encounter. And I think it would be a good change of pace. I think it's really good to make your players think. And on top of that, this actually works out really good because this could be a format that really en uh, engages the person who loves to kill stuff because they get to just do it over and over and over <laughs> while the other people are doing that like to do the investigation type stuff and the learning can go do that. So you might be able to split the party into two groups, which traditionally isn't a good thing saying, okay, your guys' sole goal is to deal with this thing and keep it distracted. So it isn't terrorizing people while you figure out how to kill it. So basically the players are just marching around ready to, to, to burn this shit, you know? <laughs> and what else I think would be awesome is if whenever they quote unquote kill it, because it keeps coming back. Right. That it, you give it some sort of a, an, an ambient feature that the players know that it's coming back like, for them. Like a noise or something? Like there's a, a soft whisper or something associated with the specter, which lets you know that it's coming back. It's Jason Voorhees. Anyways, yeah, I, I agree. And maybe it could be some sort of clear um, either noise or clicking. I like that. <laughs> the Predator. <laughs> You know, something like that, and it can be get kind of kind of feed it and get that creepiness. Anyways, um, I think that's a fun idea. I can't wait to actually uh, run another one. I actually did something like this years ago based on when I was first playing, watching Supernatural, and that's how I remembered it. But um, I definitely recommend giving the shot. And now we use a specter. You can use whatever ghostly figure you want or just a regular monster, you know, some beast bound to somebody magical, you know. Yeah, even the inspectors are hard. Yeah, they can literally kill you in one shot at early levels because they, like, if you, I think if your HP drops to zero, you're just dead. <laughs> And I think, I if I'm not mistaken, that's a specter that does I that. I think it's a specter too that once a person reaches zero HP and they die, they become a specter too. Or is that, that doesn't a, sound right? Or, but maybe. Or is that a? I don't think that's a thing. It could be. I could be mistaken. That, that Anyways, might be, that's a lich. That is. That's not true either. Yeah. Um, that is our. Uh, okay. <laughs> that is our encounter of the podcast, the Undying Specter. Our magic item of the podcast is submitted by listener Joe Hickles, the Sash of Scouts Master. Now, he says. <laughs> I've always wanted to submit a magic item. This was inspired by the robe of useful items. I feel like you should be doing the magic items par parts in your Deckard Kane voice. This week's magic item is brought to you by listener Joe Hickles. <laughs> Sound like an infomercial. <laughs> the Sash of the Scouts Master. He says, I've always wanted to submit a magic item. This was inspired by the robe of useful items. The Sash of the Scouts Master. This well-crafted mustard yellow sash was rumored to have belonged to a veteran scout leader. It is adorned with 28 patches of various shapes and colors. One of each skill, acrobatics, stealth, etc. Toolset, and one for vehicles, land or water. While wearing the sash, you can use an action to detach one of the patches. Imbuing the wearer with the knowledge that the patch represents, you can now add double your proficiency bonus to checks made using that skill or tool for up to one hour. Jeez. <laughs> Once the last patch is removed, the sash becomes an ordinary garment. However, provided the... <laughs> you did that. That was awesome. That was right on it. Sounded just like it. Provided the wearer has used all the patches and not another character, the character is granted the jack-of-all-trades ability. That is a very interesting item. First of all, Joe, thank you for your submission. I think this is a really cool item. I think that being able to temporarily boost your, your skills in something is pretty cool. And being able to <laughs> say, wait, 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 I got a patch for that. Hang on. And rip <laughs> a patch off and, like, lift... 
you know, a porticolis or something heavy. <laughs> it or was 28 patches. <laughs> <laughs> Is there some meaning behind that? Adorned with 28 patches. Every time you remove a patch, it, it jacks up your advantage to that yeah, or your proficiency. I don't understand why you laugh, though. I guess I don't. Because that gives you 28 different chances. <laughs> oh, well, you get to pick one. Um, the way I understand it, you get to pick uh, that you get to pick them. Now I don't know if you pull off this one and it's, so you you know it's got five that are acrobatics and six that are stealth. I don't know how well that is uh, put out, um, but I would say you just pull it off and uh, it says it's various shapes and colors. So I think the DM can kind of decide how many of each. Um, but I think this is really cool. Uh, when you detach it, you get a temporary buff to that skill, which I think is cool because. If the rogue, you know, is walking across a trip line and f- or across like a tight wire and fails, and you're a you're <laughs> you're a giant freaking dwarf with big full plate armor and a giant axe, and you're like, I've got this, and you pull the patch, <laughs> and then you're like tiptoeing, <laughs> and he's like balancing with his axe as he's crossing. I just think that that's really cool. It really, uh, anytime you improve skill tricks, even if it's temporary, really gives way to more rate role play opportunities and uniqueness, especially when you do something you're not really good at. Um, the only issue I have with this was giving uh, the character the jack-of-all-trades ability. I personally would not do that because that takes away from a class that that's a primary feature. That being said, I might allow them to gain the expertise, which means they double their proficiency in a single skill that they choose. I would probably go that far. I think that would be really cool. Um, and I, I can see this being a really fun item. What do you think? You just talk about the tightrope. I can just imagine a Goliath moonwalking back <laughs> to save moonwalk, the rogue. Moonwalking across it. And the rogue just like, you asshole. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for our magic item, the Sash of Scouts Masters. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> our Dungeon Master tip is Paired Initiative, uh, brought to us by... Will Paget. Now, this paired initiative system, uh, he he talks about you know you want to group initiative roles together, players and enemies into pairs. Uh, it's amazing for getting flavor uh, out of pack tactics, for instance, which is pretty cool. Uh, it can give players a chance to uh, intermingle their attacks and actions. Uh, this can easily lead to more cooperative combat and creative experience, uh, and more creative experience. Additionally, it can give combat one uh, more of a, a live uh, flow feeling, which is kind of hard when each person's kind of taking their turn. Uh, I think that works best when the DM constantly re- recites after every person's turn what's happening. Mm. It's the only way to get that cohesive feeling. Um, and it can speed up larger group combats. Yeah. And, so, in addition to the description, he actually gave us an exa- We actually have an example here. So it says, A barbarian and a monk team up, both gang up on a large ogre. The barbarian rushes forward and strikes the foe with one of his two attacks. The monk then vaults over the barbarian, using his back as a ramp to reach the ogre's head and lays into him with a single blow that and stuns him. As the ogre staggers back, then the barb uses extra attack to knock the enemy prone, using and the monk rides the ogre down in for an epic elbow drop. <laughs> it certainly makes things more interesting and keeps all the players thinking about how they can get creative together while waiting for their turn. Now, I did this when we were uh, doing that game on Discord. You did? Yeah, I rode someone's back, and I used that to my advantage to make a surprise attack because, what was I, a halfling? Yeah. I was a halfling on a very big character. Yep. He was a barbarian. He jumped down to the main enemy off of a second floors, 
or mm-hmm. two, off the second floor. And as he fell, I jumped off his back as a surprise attack because I was so small and they couldn't see me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've actually used the parent initiative a couple different times. I did it once when I first read this um, sometime back. I don't remember when I got this. It was a while ago. Sorry, Will. I used it once when I first got it just to see. First of all, it definitely speeds up combat because then the two you don't get the, the two people... Uh, they're kind of thinking about what they're going to execute before their turn comes. So when it comes to their turn, they've already got it planned out. That definitely, I was super surprised at how effective that was. I also ran it with some of our patron games uh, when they were on Dragonback, and they had control of a dragon. So that wasn't exactly the same thing. It was more like a paired initiative with like a NPC or a, a, a minion mount or whatever. But one thing I do think is cool is that you can... When you do the the paired initiative, you can break up other parts of the attacks and try to work together if everything succeeds. And it creates for a very interesting storytelling experience. In this example, you can just you can really get an idea of just how fun that had to be for the players at the table. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, uh, when I was talking about what I did, we, you weren't uh, doing that at the time. Mm-hmm. Our, our initiative was just lucky, and we had thought about that. Right. It's like, hey, let's do this. Oh, okay. Just so happens our initiative was right and up, so right it worked together. But if you, uh, to build kind of team, this is good team building, really. If you get two people who are really buddy-buddy and, and want to start to intertwine their attacks, Chrono Trigger comes to mind where you have, like, the team ex- execution attacks and stuff, and you can do special things. While technically they're independent combinations, it gets really interesting when they're combined together. So I really like this idea. I highly recommend you do it, especially if your players aren't as interested in it. At least do it with monsters because it's pretty common to put groups of monsters together and you know he mentions you know the pack tactics you know what i mean if you know if you've got four goblins and then a goblin lord the goblin lord has his own initiative but generally the four goblins have their own initiative uh or have their the the one initiative for all of them so you could have something where the first guy charges in and and tries to knock you down and the next one jumps over top of him and kind of dog piles on top of you and uh, <laughs> when that happens he you know he tries to tries to grapple you and then the other two's you know flank around the sideways got you pinned down in attack and being able to really have that sort of combat flow is really important and really can make the game more more enjoyable i think that'll do it for our dungeon master tip uh thank you will for your submission initiative our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick no i really hadn't uh considered this until um a player did it and it, it was actually oh you weren't here uh, i have a new player that came and joined our game she's a bard and she started playing noises on her phone now i've never i've thought about it but i've never really ever it's never really it doesn't happen that often you know if you're a player you can use sound effects too just like the dm can Right. So make a short playlist of sounds or songs or, you know, or specific sound effects or songs that you can play uh, when you you have a big a big thing. You know, for a spell, it might be when you cast that big, powerful spell that you have, like fireball or something. Or if you're you're using like the song arrest, you might play like a 10 second clip like we do for our uh, our winners. You know, hey, we're resting. I'm going to play song arrest. You know, when you start, dun, 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 you know, <laughs> uh, something like that can really add a lot of flavor, especially I wouldn't say, oh, don't overuse it. Don't use it on your like cantrip that you're casting all the time. Um, but if if you're that that wizard who has, you know, just got his third level or his third level slot and can now cast fireball, you're super excited and you play a cool uh, sound effect from Battle Bards, you know, that's. You know, <laughs> playing that occasionally would be really fun. It would add a lot of environmental effect to the game. So 
definitely check that out. If you do, check out Roll20. It has some really good options. I think we've talked about these stuff from a DM perspective. But you can do this stuff as a player as well. Definitely can consider that. Do you have any other examples that might go with that? Not really, that, but that does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. And you can do it as a, as a player, so do that. And that is our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by using your own sound effects. The DM's not the only <laughs> one that can baller that shit up. Before we close out today, we have one more amazing gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils, and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. Brandon, who's our winner today? Our winner this week is Throw Away Woodsman. Congratulations, Throwaway Woodsman. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to DMs Guild and leave Jeff Stevens a review. Let him know what you think of it. And <laughs> feel free to give us a shout-out and tell him you got it from Crit Academy. I think I, I didn't never thought to add that before. I probably should. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, we hope you will join us for our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes. We will be having... <laughs> we will Joan... discuss insert object. Shut up. <laughs> we will have special guest Joan Gemstone on, and we will be discussing lore and history of liches um if you don't know who joe gemstone is first of all he's a patron of ours but he's also a host of this awesome podcast if you're not listening to it i don't like to read lore as much as i like to listen to it and his show is really good about feeding you lore in a very nice nice flow and he's just got an awesome voice <laughs> Um, so definitely you can find him on iTunes. Check him out. If you have any feedback, unearth tips and tricks, or topics you would like us to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or your platform of choice, or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. Yeah. You can also support us by giving a like and a share. Now, make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so we can help you on your future adventures as well as be entered uh, for a chance to win cool prizes each and every single week. You will also find our fellowship members there as well. If you don't know, we run the Crit Nation Fellowship, which is a collaboration and a group, a collection of like-minded uh, content creators. We have podcasts on there. You can find D&D uh, Character Lab and Inner Party Conflict. They Both of those shows are amazing. I cannot recommend them enough. They're one of my favorite podcasts to listen to next to my own. And they each have great stuff to offer you. So check them out. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.